Job 32. Open your Bibles, Job 32. You know, I was trying to encourage you as we make our way through Job. Uh, Jude is a single chapter book. Jude is a single chapter book. And we did 17 lessons on Jude. Job, uh, Jude. Okay. So Job is a 42 chapter book. We're in chapter 32 and there's only 18 lessons so far. So I, I'm really doing good. Could you give me a hand? Could you give me a hand? Thank you. Thank you. I need that. I need to be encouraged. Listen, I need to be encouraged. This book has been so beneficial, and believe me, I'm leaving a wealth of learning and insight back in the office. I promise you, I'm not bringing it all. But it's a book that wears on you, and I don't think that, I think that is proven true more at this point in the book than in any other. We've made it. Congratulate each other. Give a little fist pump to one another. We've made it through the three miserable comforters. Amen? Isn't that good? Yes. Yes. We are glad. But the problem is, listening to them wears you down. And that's what happened to Job. When you hear negativity, 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 especially from those closest to you, those that should be encouraging you and they're discouraging you, no matter how much you push, push back, their negativity begins to wear on you. It is worn on Job. You can see his attitude. But listen to this. It wears on the Bible students who study the book. It wears on the preachers that go through the book. And you're so used to looking at these friends, any counselors around Job as negative, that when you meet this new person, which I now introduce to you, Elihu. And all week I've wanted to say, who, who, who is Elihu? I just wanted to say that. Jerry, I said it. I wanted to say it all week. If I could have wrapped it, I would have wrapped it. Who, who, who is Elihu? That's who we're going to find out. And sadly, he gets a bum rap. And one of the reasons is, at the top of your notes, just when you thought there was nothing more to say, one last long-winded speech. One last long-winded speech at the ash heap of despair. You're like, can't we get to the God part yet? No, we have Elihu. Job 32 through 37 records the introduction of Elihu and the instruction by Elihu. That's how I'm going to divide up these two, these uh, chapters, 32 to 37. He has four speeches for Job and for his miserable comforter. So, uh, in a sense, Job gets an ally, but in a sense, he gets another criticizer as well. And so, notice the breakout that I have there. Today, we're going to look at the introduction of Elihu. Who is Elihu? And why should we listen to him? And if you notice, it basically covers chapter 32. First, we're going to get an introduction by the narrator himself. The first five verses is an introduction by the narrator, the author, whoever that may be. The second introduction is by Elihu himself. As he begins to speak, he has things to say to both the miserable comforters and to Job. And so we learn about him. Next week, we'll look at his instruction, and you can see it's four speeches. And he, more than anyone else in this book, uh, who has spoken thus far, is putting everyone's attention on God. 
And you can see that, and we'll, and basically that's going to be our four points for next week, his four, his, the four speeches that he has. But what I want you to see in your Bibles, if you look at verses 1 through 5, we have our first break in the poetry. Remember, all of this has been poetical, but now there's a new person to introduce, the person of Elihu. And so we stop for the poetry for a moment, and we have a little narrative section that introduces the person of Elihu. In fact, it's longer than the introduction of the three friends. In fact, everything about Elihu is longer, okay? And uh, again, another reason for people not to like him. Uh, Notice Job 31, verse 40. Here's the break that we have. Look at the end of of chapter 31, verse 40. The words of Job are ended, and all God's people said... Amen, all right? But you got a bigger amen coming. Look at the first verse of chapter 32. Then these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. So we can say another amen. These guys are finally done talking. But like I said, there's one last long-winded speech. In fact, he will talk, Elihu will talk longer than anyone else in this book, all right? And, and yet we're going to cover it in one week next week, so don't, don't despair. Now, let's read uh, chapter 32. Let's read verses at least 1 through 16. Then these three men, and notice this is the first time they've called, they're called these three men. Up to this time, they've been called friends at least three times or two other times, and then one more time in the book, he'll be called friends. And I think when it says these three men, It's telling us two things about these three guys. One, there's a distance now between them and Job. Okay, no brainer. Okay, I thought these were friends, but they're really three men, these three men. It also puts a distance between them and Elihu. And that is very important because many people that study this book lump these four guys together. But you need to think in your mind, there's these three men and now there's Elihu. And we should see him as unique, different, and his own person. And don't paint him with the same brush of negativity that we have seen in the three friends. So we're going to answer the question, who is Elihu and why should we listen to him? Well, let's, let's look at it. Uh, again, chapter 32, I've read verse 1. But the anger of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, of the family of Ram burned. Against Job, his anger burned because he justified himself before God. And his anger burned against his three friends because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, His anger burned. Did you notice four times this guy's angry, 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 angry. So Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, spoke out and said, I am young in years and you are old. Therefore, I was shy and afraid to tell you what I think. I thought age should speak and increased years should teach wisdom. But it is a spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty gives them understanding. The abundant in years may not be wise, you think, nor may elders understand justice. 
In this section, he's speaking to the three men. It's in the plural. So I say, listen to me, and I will tell you what I think. Behold, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasonings while you pondered what to say. I even paid close attention to you. Indeed, there was no one who refuted Job, no one of you who answered his words. Do not say, we have found wisdom. God will rout him, not man, for he has not arranged his words against me, nor will I reply to him with your arguments. In other words, Job hasn't been talking to me. He's been talking to you, and you guys haven't been answering him. I'm not going to use your arguments. I'm going to say something new, something different. They are dismayed. They answer no more. Words have failed them. Shall I wait because they do not speak? Because they stop and answer no more? Verse 17, I too will answer my share. I also will tell my opinion. For I am full of words. The spirit within me constrains me. Behold, my belly is like unvented wine, like new wineskins. It's about to burst. If I don't get this out, I'm going to bust. Let me speak that I may get relief. Let me open my lips and answer. Let me now be partial to no one, nor flatter any man. For I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. So, Let's take a look at this. In this introduction, we see, first of all, who Elihu is. Let's look at his ancestry. Uh, that's the first thing we see in verses 2 and 6. Why does this stand out? Because no one else, if you remember way back when we started this book, no one else had an ancestry. Not Job, not the three friends. We don't know anything about their background. All of a sudden, here comes this new guy, and God says, Hey, I want you to know a little bit about his background. His name is Elihu, which means my God is he, or he is my God. And so this is a godly man. This is a man who worships the one true God. He is my God. In fact, he uses the name for God, El, more than anyone else in this book. His name is Elihu. My God is he. He is my God. His father's name is Barakel. Barakel means God blesses. So this is a godly man coming from a godly home uh, who wants to live for God and to be blessed by God. His family name is Ram. Significance of that, it, it can be traced back to the line of Judah, the line from which Messiah, Jesus, came. His tribal name is Buzz or Boots, however you want to, the right way to say is Boots, Boots and Oots. And so Buzz and Uz were brothers. Their father was Abraham's brother, Nahor. So these guys are living in, uh, 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 are related. They're close to the area in which uh, Job uh, lived. And they are distant relatives of Abraham. Now, what's that all mean? Here's the significance. God's wanting us to see that this is an individual, perhaps more than the wise men from the East that we've been listening to who had a lot of human wisdom based on experience, tradition, learning, passion. Here is a man with a godly heritage and a godly ancestry. I think we need to listen to him. He may know a little more about the one true God than the other counselors. But here's the most important thing about Elihu. It's not his ancestry, it's his age. That's the next thing we want to look at. Look at his age. How old was Elihu? Now look at verse 4. Look at chapter 32, verse 4. 
it makes it clear that the three friends, the three miserable comforters, were years older, years older than Elihu. (coughs) And Elihu himself says in verses 6 and 7, I am young in years and you are old, therefore I was shy and afraid to tell you what I think. I thought age should speak and increased years should speak wisdom. Now, what you have to step back is, remember back in Job 15.10, we were told by Eliphaz, the oldest man, that they were perhaps even older than Job's father. Remember that? Way back there. So, you got Job, who I believe is in his prime, which back then, since they lived longer, prime was probably 60, 70. Let's say 70 years old. The three are years older, older than his father, making them potentially 150 years old. Now, why is this significant? Well, if Job's 70, the three are 150 or around there, 100, 150, and Elihu is years younger than these three who are 150, I believe the information that we have, we can make an assumption. I can't swear to it. It doesn't tell us. I believe Elihu, therefore, is around 50 to 70 years old. He may be the same age as Job, or if he's younger than Job, he's probably only 10 to 20 years younger. This guy's not a teenager. He's 50 to 70 years old. Notice what it says in your notes. Elihu is a wise man that is years younger than the three, but not that much younger than Job. 50 to 70 years old. Now, why do I say that? Because many men who study Job see Elihu as a young, out-of-control teenager. Okay, we just went through graduation, right? You see all these kids, they graduate, they're all full of, you know, they know everything. You know, we're entering into the, we're in the teenage years. Suddenly, my daughter, she knows all, you know, and, and, and we just sit and listen to her wisdom pouring onto us. And, uh, and a lot of people treat Elihu the same way. They go on for pages about how Elihu is like a young man out of college, full of himself, with little or no wisdom at all, except he doesn't know it. In, uh, in their thinking, Elihu is a y- angry young fool who is puffed up and full of himself. They, they talk about him for on and on about like he's a cocky teenager who just got the keys to dad's car and is trying to stick his nose into business that he has no business getting involved in. And all I, I disagree with all that. This isn't a young, foolish young, a, a, a foolish young man. This is a man of seasoned years. Yes, he's younger than the three. Yes, he's potentially younger than than Job, but 50 to 70, he's probably married. He's got kids. He's not you and I as a teenager, okay? Now, far from being a foolish young man who doesn't know what he's doing, look at number three. Look at Elihu's attentiveness to this debate. I guarantee you that Elihu's probably paid better attention than most of us in these past few weeks. Okay, because let me ask you this. Could you summarize Job's arguments up to this point? Could you even quote Job word for word? Because that's what Elihu does. In these four speeches, he says, look, I want you to know, I've been paying attention. And for that, he deserves a medal. 
I mean, anybody who has sat through these four guys and has no and has paid attention, it's almost like he has taken notes. This is not a rash, foolish young man. This is someone who is taking seriously what Job has gone through, taking seriously how others have tried to help him and have been of no help to him, and now simply can't hold back, I have something that I think is right and true, wise and helpful. So let's look at his attentiveness. Look at verse 4. He says in verse 4, Now Elihu had waited to speak because they were years older than he. Okay, years, 150. Knock off 50. Guy could be 100. Then look at verses 11 through 16. Behold, I waited for your words. I listened. I listened to your reasonings, your argument while you pondered what to say. I mean, he's like, you know, you guys were at times clueless, and I still just paid attention and waited to see what you were going to come up with. Indeed, there was no one who refuted Job. I play, I paid close attention, attention to you. Not one of you answered his words. Well, we could go on. Now, as I've already said, as we get into these speeches, he will literally summarize and at one point quote Job word for word. This guy has paid attention. I like this quote by uh, one student of the book. Elihu had done his duty by listening. He will now do it by talking. Not a bad principle for counseling. What have we said all along? These three guys, their biggest fault is they never listened to Job. Now we have one who has listened. And when you listen, you earn the right to what? To speak. That doesn't sound like a teenager to me. Okay? I'm all, you know, anyway, go on. Okay. Next thing we want to look at. The attitude of anger. We also are introduced to the attitude. The biggest aspect we need to understand about Elihu is his attitude. And there's no doubt it's an angry one. Repeated four times. Now you're saying, now we're sounding like a teenager. Right? Now we can relate. No, not necessarily. I want you to see two characteristics I believe. Now, let me say real quick. I'm going against a lot of good commentators and, and, and scholars and, and men I respect. Conservative guys, Bible-believing guys. If I named their names, you would know who they are. In a moment, I'll name a couple of them. So you're entitled to disagree. But if you disagree with what I'm going to present to you, first, I'm going to show it to you from the Bible. Second, if you disagree, you need to disagree from the Bible. Fair enough? So you don't have to think this way about Elihu. You just need to gather the evidence. Because here's what's happened. Listen to me. Here's what has happened. I think the attitude towards the three has been smeared upon Elihu because this book wears you down. But if you'll stop and look at Elihu based on what he says, you'll see that his anger, and I want you to see two things. His anger, I believe, is righteous anger, and I believe his anger is respectful anger. It's righteous and it's respectful. So let's break that down. Let's look at it. Elihu's righteous anger towards both his elders and Job. The first, uh, the first we're going to look at is Elihu is angry with the three because they could not make a case against Job, but condemned him anyway. That's good. That, that, that's righteous anger. Hey, 
You guys are condemning this man, and yet you have brought forth no evidence. And number two, you can't answer his arguments. He's out-talked you. And he's angry about both those things. We see this in verses 3 through 5. His anger burned against the three friends because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now, why do I think that's righteous anger? Well, because first of all, because it's true. But second of all, because God's angry at the three for the same reason at the end of the story. Look at Job 42.7. Look at Job 42.7. Jumping to the end of the story, when the Lord speaks and he speaks to the three, here's what he says in Job 42.7. It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. That phrase, my wrath is kindled, exact same phrase used of Elihu. Now, I have to be honest with the evidence. Elihu's mad at the three because they couldn't, they condemned Job even though they couldn't bring any evidence, they couldn't answer him. God's angry at him at the three because they spoke what was wrong about him. So there's a difference in their anger, but there's a similarity to it. And I think it tells us this, that there is such a thing as righteous anger. And I think Elihu has that type of anger. Now, he's also angry at Job. Look at your next point. He's angry at Job because he makes him out to be more just or more right than God. Look again at verse 2. But the anger of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, burned against Job. His anger burned because he justified himself before God. We, we re, if you remember, especially in chapter 31, the words that Job just spoke, the big thing that he said was, look, I don't know about what you're doing, God, but I know I'm right. And to be quite honest with you, I think you're treating me wrong. What did he just do? He made himself more right at the expense of God. Now, just stop for a moment. We all do that when we're hurting. We all do that. We tend to say, especially when we're people of integrity like Job... God, I have done things right, and you have not come through. And if we're not careful, we take that one step which Job took, and we say, I've been right, you have not come through, therefore you are wrong. And Job has crossed that line. Now you say, why do I say that? Because God says the same thing at the end of the book about him. Look at Job 38. Look at Job 38, verse 1. In Job 38, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, out of the storm, and said, Who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? That's a pretty stiff rebuke. Job, you're talking, and you don't know what you're talking about. And you're talking about me, and you don't know what you're talking about. Drop down to Job 40, verse 1. Look at Job 40, verse 1. Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? I don't know about you, but you never want God saying that to you. Okay, you don't ever 
want God saying, where's the fault finder? Where's my critic? Who wanted to argue his case in front of me because now I'm here. So here's my point. Elihu has a righteous anger because it's similar to God's anger. It's different. He's a man. He's a man. And by the way, he doesn't know Job 1 and 2. He doesn't have the full picture, just like you and I don't. But Elihu knows his God. He is my God. God blesses. God is good. God is great. Therefore, we shouldn't contend and criticize him, even in our suffering. Uh, I like these two verses from the New Testament. I think they remind us the balance that we have to have. Be angry, yet do not sin. There is a righteous anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. The three friends have given the devil the opportunity by their negativity, by their wrong anger, their unrighteous anger. Elihu has a righteous anger, and I think it's going to be used of God, not of the devil. But the danger is this. Look at James 1, 19 through 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And I would put forth to you, he has been slow to speak. He has been quick to hear. And I would put forth to you that God will use his anger for his purposes. Therefore, I think it's a righteous anger. But the the reason I really think it's righteous is because Elihu has a respectful anger to his elders and to Job. Now, I can't take you through all of this. This was stuff that I couldn't leave in the office. I'm sorry. It's just too good. And this is where people miss this man. He is righteously angry. He is four times angry. And yet he is respectful. Now, here's what's interesting. When you're in conflict, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Ever been there? Okay? If, 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 no matter what you do, Elihu gets criticized. Now, now stay with me. Stay with me. I'm, I'm hoping God will pass my passion to you. It's really amazing. This poor guy gets called wordy, long-winded, arrogant, puffed up because he takes all of chapter 32 to introduce himself. But listen, there are men, his elders here. They're sitting at the town garbage dump. Everybody has come to see the spectacle of Job and his suffering and these wise men from the east who have come to town. And they are listening to these profound older men. And here's this younger man, not a teenager, but a younger man who is about to speak before some of the wisest men in the country, in the land. I can relate to this in the sense of the the position I'm teaching you I'm going against men that if I were in their presence, I'd be saying, okay, look, I know you guys. I know you've written books. I know you have churches of of mega thousands. I know that. I'm about to say something that's going to disagree with you, but I just want you to know I love you. I respect you. I'm going to keep your books on my shelf. You know far more than me, but I've got to tell you something here. And I just want you to know, I just want you to know that about what I'm about to tell you may disagree. You know, you may not like it. I, 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 I really do respect you. But I just got to tell you something. You're wrong. Do you see how? This is what he's doing. When you're respectful and you tell people that you look up to that they're wrong, you take time to ease into that. 
if you are what? If you are wise, mature, and respectful. If you're a brash young man, what do you do? You interrupt. And you say, that's all wrong. You guys are old and decrepit and out of touch. Let me tell you how it really is. Do you see the difference? So, let me, let, let's see the respect in speaking to his elders in verses 6 through 22. Elihu is addressing the three. He's addressing the three. And he's saying, he says at least seven things I would put forth to you. He says he's timid. In fact, he uses a word. He's crawling on his belly before them like a snake. I can't get any lower than you guys. I just want you to know, I'm not speaking up here down at you. I'm speaking from down, up, down here up to you. He's timid. He's terrified. A word that means sheer terror at the presence of God sometimes in, in the Bible. He's respectful of their age. He says, look, I've waited. He's been patient. I've let you speak first. That's the right thing to do. I've been attentive. I'm not just blowing off steam here. I'm not going off half-cocked. I'm going to be impartial. I'm not going to play favorites or use flattery. And by the way, the three used a little flattery along the way. They used titles. And, and, and you know what, you know what uh, El, Elihu calls Job? He calls him Job. Kind of refreshing. And what he's going to say to Job, we're going to see in a minute, is he just says, Job, I'm a man and you're a man. Now let me talk to you. And you know what? I'm telling you, there's some profound wisdom here, folks. When people are hurting, they want you to listen to them. And then when they speak to you, they want you to speak to them as a human being and as an equal, as a brother, as a sister. I don't see a cocky teenager here. I see a man of wisdom who knows who he is and who he's speaking to and does it with great respect. Now, in, in chapter 33, and, and, and this will be next week, when he starts talking, now look in verse 33. He says, however now, Job... Please hear my speech. Now, these are beautiful verses. The next seven verses, he turns from the three and he turns to Job. And literally, in the next seven verses, every verse is a sign of respect to Job. And again, I can't teach you. I can't. We can't read all through that. You read that on your own. But the first thing he does is he requests, Job, would you listen to me? Okay, for a guy that's angry, I think that's pretty good. Okay. Secondly, he says, I'm ready to share my wisdom with you. So please listen to me. And then now I'm, I'm going to be respectful and tell you that I am now ready to speak. Number three in verse three, I'm really sincere and upright in what I'm going to say. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this from my heart. I'm not, I'm not pulling your leg. I, I, I'm not puffing myself up. I'm, I'm just talking from my heart. Number four, I rely on God for insight and understanding. This verse four is important. Look at verse four. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. There is not a developed theology of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but what he's saying there is, look, the Spirit of God made me, and the Spirit of God has given me life, and the Spirit of God's the source of my wisdom. That's something a little different. That's an emphasis a little different from the other three. I'm relying on God. 
What did Job 28 say? Wisdom's not found from men, it's found from God. And he's saying, look, I'm giving you wisdom that I found from God. Number five, refute me if you can, and I will let you respond. So he's very respectful. Look, after I have my say, if you want to refute me, I'll give you that chance. And he does. And by the way, Job doesn't respond. Whoa, wait a minute. That's a new one. Job, at a loss for words? Hold that thought. Number six, Remember, we are both men equals as fellow human beings. I think that's really profoundly respectful. And then realize there's no need to fear me like you do God. Remember, Job says, man, I wish I could just talk to God, but I know he'd scare the pants off me. And by the way, he will. When he shows up, he will scare the pants off Job. He probably doesn't have any pants on anymore anyway. Just a thought. Get that image out of your mind. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, Job... I'm talking to you man to man. And you've said, oh, God's going to be so scary I can't answer him. Well, I'm not scary. I'm just like you. I'm talking to you from the heart. And if you can, refute what I'm about to say to you. Because I think you need to hear it. Even though it may not be easy to hear. Now, why is this so important? Because so many good commentators see him as an angry young fool who is just as bad or just a little bit better than the three friends. In fact, many students of Job see his long introduction of himself as nothing more than proudly puffing himself up. But I think there's a very different cultural reason for why he takes an entire chapter to introduce himself. And let me lay these on you. The first reason is... He is speaking in the presence of his elders. And earlier in Job 29, Job said, You know, when I was in my heyday, when I was respected, I would walk to the gate and the young men would be silent. Elihu is taking time because he's breaking protocol. There are men far older than me and I am going to now speak in their presence. Now, in the day of internet, we can't relate to that. Because we think everybody has the right to speak whenever they have a, a thought or a dumb thought or a food item to share or a selfie to share. But in those days, if you were younger, you didn't speak. Literally, you know, children were to be seen and not heard. Now, he's not a child, but you get the idea. Now, Gwen and I had the privilege of, worship, uh, of, of ministering in Asian American uh, cultures, and this is an Asian culture. And let me tell you, I don't care how old you get, if someone's older than you, you are a... Young child, you know, young man. Believe me, doesn't matter if they're older. The second thing, and this is very profound, the second thing is this he is speaking without being asked to speak. Okay, you just don't do that. See, what should happen is the, the older men have said, should say, you know what? We failed, we can't answer him. Uh, would anyone else, like some of you younger men, some of you younger men, would you, would you like to speak now? We're done. But these guys are too proud to do that. They're too proud to change their thinking. They're too proud. And so there's just a silence at the ash heap. And Elihu says, look, I know my elders are here. I know you haven't asked me to speak, but the Spirit of God is upon me, and you have spoken wrongly. Job, you have made yourself out better than God. I must speak. All right. There you go. Now, why listen to Elihu? Here's our second. That's who he is. Why listen to him? 
Well, there's three ways people answer that question. The first way is don't listen to Elihu. Okay? The first way people answer that, and I'm talking about Bible students, Bible scholars, pastors, uh, men who know far more than I. Don't listen to Elihu. And here's why. I wrote it out for you. He's an angry young fool. He says nothing new. He just repeats the same arguments of the three friends who only further persecutes Job with false accusations. Literally, the worst case scenario for this, if you're a liberal uh, commentator, you literally say someone put this in here and it doesn't belong. I mean, that's just how bad it can be. Don't listen to him. In fact, it shouldn't even be in the Bible. Okay, well, we believe the Bible is inspired and it's been handed and preserved to us as God intended, so we can't take that option. So what, do you, what option do you take then if you're not a liberal, but you think we shouldn't listen? You say, half listen to Elihu. Half listen to him. He's an angry young fool with some new things to say, but provides little help to Job. Now, I'm just going to read one, and I respect Dr. MacArthur greatly, and so I'm not going to go through my long introduction of how I'm now going to uh, uh, contradicting, but this is funny. In his uh, in his uh, MacArthur Study Bible, on this note, the introduction of Elihu. Here's what he says: Angry with the other three, he had some new thoughts, but was very hard on Job. Elihu was angry, full of self-importance and verbose. Really, John, you're saying someone's verbose, and that's a and that's a negative. Okay, that'd be like me saying you're verbose and that's a negative. I, I can't say that. But his approach, listen, but his reproach was refreshing after listening repetitiously to the others, though not really helpful to Job. Okay, he's a break in the action, but of no help. Now, now get this. Why is it necessary to record and read these four blustering speeches by this man? Are you ready for the answer? Because they happened. As a part of the story, while Job is still waiting for God to disclose himself. Why should we read this? Because we have to. It's in the Bible. We're just killing time till God shows up, twiddling our thumbs. I respectfully disagree with that. Uh, uh, Henry Morris, who's a conservative Bible-believing dude, calls Elihu a braggart, spoiling for a theological fight, a tool of Satan, and a false messiah. He's the Antichrist. Okay, whatever you say. But I disagree with that. Only half listen is what they're saying. Now, here's what I believe the biblical answer is. Fully listen to Elihu. Fully listen to him. Yes, he's angry. But he is a younger wise man wise man, with something new to say, who actually prepares Job to hear from the Lord in the coming storm. Now, if you've hung with me this far, first of all, congratulate yourself. Second of all, get ready for some profound application, because here's the point. When you are hurting, or you're ministering to someone who is hurting, and they're being given bad counsel, or negativity, or being attacked, they start hearing everything through a negative fog. And suddenly when God brings his man or his woman to speak, they turn them off because they just hear the same static that they're hearing from everybody else. If you're not careful, and if I'm not careful, you can call a friend an antichrist who is really Christ's man or woman to speak his words to you. Human? Yes. Fallible? 
Yes. Imperfect, yes. But nonetheless, God's mouthpiece to get you ready to hear from Him. So that's why this lesson's been important. Now, if I've convinced you, great. If you're not convinced, that's fine too. Just show me from the Bible. Now, here we go. Are you ready? There's basically two different perspectives on Elihu. I have the chart there. You can read it. The one I want you to see is the role in their debate. One view says this is a brash meddler acting on his own. Ignore him or half listen to him or endure him because he's in the Bible. The other view, which is the one I'm teaching you, he's a bold mediator acting for God. He is risking his reputation to speak what God wants to speak and what Job needs. Let me tell you, if you're going to speak to people what God wants them to say, then you have to risk your reputation and being criticized, misunderstood, and mislabeled for speaking truth. Are you with me? This poor guy's been for centuries. I, you know, there's all these little moments. What, what, what do you want to be in heaven? In heaven, I want to see John MacArthur and Elihu talk. I want them to meet, right? Endure. All right. Seven reasons why we should listen to Elihu. Number one, Elihu receives more space than anyone in this debate about God's sovereignty and undeserved adversity. He gets six chapters. And he speaks longer than any of the three. They progressively spoke less. He is speaking more than anyone. I think we need to do a little more than half listen to him. Amen? Not only that, he gets four speeches. And what is the most that any of the three gave? Three. All right? He, and I, and I, I can't swear to this. Somebody look it up on their computer. I think he even speaks more words than Job does. His His... Four speeches are longer than 12 Old Testament books. They're longer than 17 of the 27 New Testament epistles. More space. Number two, Elihu reflects God's attitude towards the three. I won't go back over that. He's angry at the three like God is angry at the three. He is rebuking Job like God will rebuke Job. Pretty significant, okay? So if you're going to dismiss Elihu, you're going to dismiss God then. All right. Number three, Elihu reveals something new that neither of the three friends nor Job has understood so far. And that's what he says in uh, verses 11 through 17. He says, look, I've listened to your tired arguments and you guys have gone silent. I'm not going your way. I'm saying something new. Elihu will reveal something new about Job and his sin. This is significant. He will say something new. And I love this. Look at this. The three have said, Job, you're suffering because you what? Sinned. Elihu says something totally different. You sin because you are suffering. See, sin may not get you into suffering, but suffering may get you into sin. Are you with me? They wanted to talk to Job about what you did to cause your suffering. And Elihu says, hey, what caused your suffering is ultimately in God's hands. I want to talk to you about how you're responding to your suffering because that you can control. That you are responsible for. That's pretty profound stuff. The second thing is he reveals something new about Job's suffering. 
he, 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 he's going to reveal next week something new about Job's suffering. And what he's going to say here is suffering is not just for the purpose of punishment, but also protecting and purifying. See, up till now, the three have said, you must have sinned because suffering's always for punishment, prosperity gospel. But the New Testament will back Elihu up. Suffering can also be to protect you from greater sin, future sin, and it can purify your godliness like gold is refined in fire. Secondly, suffering's not just an expression of wrath, but also God's mercy. Yes, I said that. Can't say I always live it or understand it, but suffering is not just God's wrath. God allowed Job to suffer out of mercy and compassion. All right, number four. Elihu is able to actually silence Job. Now, can we have a collective, whoa. Okay, let's just try that. Whoa. Okay, not bad, not bad. Now, you know what? Our friends on the other side of Elihu say, the reason the three, Job, and even God ignores Elihu is because that's what you do to an angry young fool. You just ignore them. Oh, well, come on. Are you telling me Job, who answers all three of the three and answers them more, speaks longer than, than, than when they speak, silenced them all? Elihu comes on and says the same crazy stuff, and Job just says, okay, you got acne, you got puberty issues, I'm going to ignore you. No! Job's silence because Elihu's right. Okay? Um, number five, Elihu is never rebuked by anyone. Whoa, everybody gets rebuked in the book of Job. Did you know that? Everybody gets rebuked. The wife gets rebuked by Job. The devil gets challenged and gets rebuked through these other people. I mean, uh, rebuking the people that he's using. The three friends get rebuked by Job. Job gets rebuked by God. The only person that doesn't get rebuked in this book is Elihu. Now, the other side will say, yeah, but he's also not commended by God. And to that I say, and your point is? Well, he doesn't commend him. Hello, the book of Job isn't about men, it's about God. And once Elihu gets Job ready for God and God comes on the scene, God's not there to commend people. God's there to glorify himself. And that's just the message of grace anyway. Just because you've done something good for God doesn't mean he's going to recognize you publicly. He's never rebuked. Number six, Elihu is a human hinge, turning us from human foolishness to the true wisdom. I'll take you, and then we have to close, take you to verse uh, chapter 37, the end of his speech, chapter 37. Look at the last words. The last words of Elihu, and may I say, the last words of any human being before God speaks. Look at verse 24. Therefore men, what? Fear him. He does not regard any who are wise of heart. What did Job 28 say about wisdom? What was the whole point? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is the last word of this man? He's saying, look, Job, I have come to deliver you from your own wisdom, from human wisdom. I have come to point you to the fear of the Lord. The Lord is coming. Get ready. 
He's about to speak to you. Prepare your heart. And then number seven, Elihu is preparing Job for his encounter with God. He's preparing Job for his encounter with God. I end with this. Job, Elihu has called for an intervention. And he's done it solo. Listen to me. Risk being an Elihu to those who are suffering around you. Be a believer priest and risk getting involved and speaking truth to them that they don't want to hear. But also prepare their heart. And and here's what you do. Turn them away from themselves. Depend on the Spirit to turn the person away from themselves and their wrong thinking about God. And then by the Spirit, turn them to encountering God. You're not God. God is God. I don't have anything to give you except to turn you, point you to the one who has the answers. Isn't that beautiful? And all I'm saying to you this morning is this. That is risky business because you may be misunderstood by Job. You're Job. You may be misunderstood by others. And I have been in that position where I have shared truth and I've done it sincerely and yes, even out of anger and maybe not always righteous anger and and, and as an imperfect fallen human being and I've been mislabeled, I've been misinterpreted, I've been all those things but I can so resonate with life. Listen, out of sincerity of heart, in your time of hurting, I'm going to share with you what you need to hear to point you to the one you really need. And I would ask that you would do that for me. And just think in this, this, this class right now, in this church, if we would step up and be those type of people. Amen? Wouldn't that be awesome? We would help one another. Let's pray. Father, we come and, uh, wow, uh, when, we, when, when we hold ourselves to your word, we can learn things and we can be changed. And I pray that you would encourage us to be believer priests who mediate, who stand in the gap, who speak as people to people, who are human, who are sincere, and who come in a way that no one has anything to fear, but there's going to be truth spoken in love. And Father, may we listen to that truth like Job did. He, he was silenced. He was prepared. He was ready to encounter his God. May we be people that prepare others to encounter the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.